In the shifting state of the world that makes tragedies more visible, some people create to help others understand. This week, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with Brian about his game Sapiens, a space opera that emphasizes what it means to be a part of something that's larger than yourself, the cruelties of oppression. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discuss projects you may have missed. I'm really excited to be talking about this one today because we've had some back and forth conversation trying to schedule you in here, but I have Brian here to talk about his new tabletop role-playing game, Sapiens. Hi, Brian. Good afternoon where you are. G'day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the afternoon of Sunday here, so, uh, so we're in the future. It's the evening so. here. There's a 16-hour time difference right now. It's not a great day. Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. Yep. So yeah, I'm I'm glad you could come on. It... Yeah, and thank you for having me. It's uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Oh, I'm excited too. So, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, Brian? Sure. Um, yep. I I mean, very typical story, I guess, for a lot of role players. I got into role playing at a at a very very young age. Um, I think in the early '80s, which 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 will age me a little bit. With um, you know those old choose your own adventure books that TSR put out, I think Pillars of Pentagon was the first one I ever had. And uh, I think Fighting that's Fantasy. the one I read too. Yeah, yeah it, was a good, it was a good book in its day. And the Fighting Fantasy game books, which were obviously very popular through the eighties. And from there, yeah. I um, I think that year for Christmas, I was given the Magenta Basic D and D set, which I think came out that year about 80, 82 or something. Okay. Got into got into role playing through Dungeons and Dragons, and you know moved up through the editions. And over the years, man, I mean I've been role playing for a long time, uh, and <laughs> uh, I've played a hell of a lot of games out there. I've you know um, love it, have always loved it. I've done a bit of writing uh, here and there for role playing. I was um, published by Pinnacle back in the day for Deadlands. Oh wow! Uh, a few articles in in. Um, in their lines, in the Deadlands line. And then I, I met a guy called Jake Norwood who wrote the Riddle of Steel RPG, which um, some of your listeners may have heard of. It's it's a bit obscure these days, but... And I wrote three source books for the Riddle of Steel, uh, The Flower okay. of Battle of Beasts and Men and, and a companion book. Um, and they were all they were all self-published by Jake. This was, this was back in the days before um, print-on-demand, so it was a fairly expensive prospect to self-publish, so I don't think there are thousands of copies out there. But uh, the first day I walked into a, a game store in, in Sydney, Australia, and saw my book on the shelf, I was pretty excited. That was pretty cool. So you're really a veteran of this, then? Well, uh, no, I wouldn't say veteran. I mean, that's... That's pretty much that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> Sapiens will be the first the first time that I'm uh, well. I mean, I've I've written a lot of other stuff that's obviously I've never even tried to publish. But yeah, Sapiens will be the first thing that's entirely mine that I'm publishing and hoping that people will will find something to like in it. I think there's a lot to like in this game. You sent me a short document about Sapiens, and I I'm waiting for that thing to go so I can back it because it just looks great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, it'll be. The Kickstarter will have started, I guess, by the time um, people are, are hearing this. But for me, it starts in three days, and I'm I'm getting excited and a bit nervous, you know. Yeah, of course. So before we get too far into just discussing and talking around it, what is Sapiens? 
So sapience is my... Um, I've always thought that uh, good stories, the best stories, uh, have layers, right? They'll, they'll, we can enjoy a, a movie or a book or a game or whatever for itself, but also if there's if there's multiple layers and it makes you think um, and make maybe make holds up a mirror to our world so that you can kind of see aspects of the real world through the kind of allegory of the game and, and it allows you to to explore things without having to maybe confront them head on. Right, I mean, um, George Lucas wrote Star Wars as a as a response to America entering the Vietnam War. That was that was what yeah the original concept of Star Wars was, right? And Planet of the Apes was all about how people often use religion to prop up inequality um, and justify it. Mm-hmm. So I think good stories do that, and I think science fiction, especially, is really good at doing that. So sapience, I mean, there's there's different facets to sapience, but but a big part of it for me was holding up that mirror and having a look at, at our society as it stands. And I think in the last, certainly in the last few years, I'm not, our society has been one of, with a lot of discrimination, a lot of, um, um, it's been a really sad time for us. It's been a sad time for a very long time. I think people are becoming more aware of it. Yes. That's what I mean. Perhaps through social media changes and things like that. And, and really sapience for me was a way of kind of, holding that up and illustrating it in, in the setting. I'll tell you very briefly a little bit about the setting. It's um, it's a science fiction setting. It's set in a completely separate cluster of stars that that, um, that people have colonated by traveling there in centuries-long sleeper ships. And the humans there have, have uplifted um, some animals from Earth to sapience, right? So there's... there's um, gorillas and orangutans and octopuses and dolphins and they've all become they've all been given intelligence and a lot of humans really think well we we gave we made them intelligence so they owe us right there's a lot of discrimination in, in some some parts of the setting they're literally mm-hmm. treated as slaves you know there are guerrilla soldiers with shot collars to keep them in line and things like that and then in other parts of space people there's shades of gray between between them and um you know but but where people think well the these other species they're sapient they're just like us they should be free so there's very much almost a north and south american civil war kind of feel to the setting and the idea is to explore perhaps in that gray area between those two extremes and be able to have a look at the kind of discrimination and privilege that exists in that society and and if that makes people think about our own society then at the end of the day that's a good thing right yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. There's a lot to this game, and a lot of the pre-written stuff that you put in sets it up for this very cool space opera where people can explore that dark mirror-esque kind of thing that you brought up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and yet at the same time, that's um, that's not going to be to everybody's taste. Um, and as you say, the, the, the trapping is a, is a space opera. Sort of specifically, it's a... It's the the sword and planet subgenre, uh, if you like, which is you know usually sort of people talk about Edgar Rice Burroughs and John Carter of Mars, and um, that's the sort of subgenre mm-hmm. of well, it's a science fiction setting, but there's a reasonably good reason why people are running around with swords anyway. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Star Wars obviously was sort of you know playing from the same uh, from the same playbook, and um, so. You know, some groups will will 
really love the kind of dark mirror aspects that we just talked about, and other groups will say, hey, what we really want tonight is I want to play a cool story where we're where I'm an ape and you're an octopus and we're flying around through space and we're st- and the and the, the setting it, it's it's an ape, it's a very old setting there are these ruins from an old civilization that vanished long before the humans arrived and yeah you know there's a there's a a, a sort of native species there that really suspiciously look a lot like old earth legends of goblins and things and we don't really know what's going on with them and um and they've got kind of some weird kind of you know science fiction often has your, your sort of magic in the form of cyanics and things like that so there's a, there's yeah. a little bit of that in, in the game as well uh, yeah so you brought it up actually a little bit earlier and i think a lot of people will be interested in that outside of the one alien race players will be making characters that are intelligent animals what made you take that approach instead of just aliens out there i um I thought it was an interesting concept to explore. It's it's a little bit less common. I think there are you know eleven hundred games out there that have taken Star Wars or Star Trek ethos isn't the right word. You know the concept of hey every planet's going to have its own sapient species and they're yeah. all going to look like humans but with bumpy foreheads or wrinkly noses and. <laughs> That doesn't really work for me, but more, I, I think it was, you know, as I said, the I wanted to explore a theme and the theme was was one of, of this kind of um, inherent privilege, right? And we all, we don't like to talk about it, but in our own society, there's, there's a lot of privilege, um, mostly white privilege, male privilege, yeah. affluent privilege, right? So if you're an affluent white guy, you're you're at the top of that pyramid, or at least you might think that you're at the top of that pyramid. Um, mm-hmm. So that doesn't, that's, that would be a harder concept to explore in a, in a setting where there's just a whole bunch of alien races. Cause why would one, you know, one person's not necessarily going to inherently think themselves better than another species yeah. that they've just met. But if it's a species that's, that's only intelligent because you gave them intelligence, or at least your ancestors did, uh, this is set, hundreds of years after that happened Mm -hmm. that allows that justification that very real justification that exists in our world for other reasons that i'm you know i'm hinting at but i'm not going to outright say because it's an unpleasant subject and that's that's kind of the the ethos that i want to explore and and you can play a human in the setting as well um Mm -hmm. but yes primarily Primarily the character types, as I said before, you've got your orangutans and gorillas and octopuses. And also, um, just to sort of throw an extra wrinkle in, in all of that, while there's all this conversation going on about, well, I'm I'm just as intelligent as you, I'm sapient, why don't I have the same rights as you? Well, very recently in the setting, AI has been developed, and it was developed by orangutan scientists, not by human scientists, which oh. the humans aren't that happy about. <laughs> and And they're intelligent. Right, and so, and now all the same questions are coming up, but it's around biological sapience versus mechanical sapience. And even the people who last week were saying, "Hey, a gorilla's got all, every every bit as rights, much rights as I do." That same person this week might be saying, "Yeah, but I really like these androids that I own." Oh well, it doesn't matter because they're only machines. And so there's the extra sort of question of, well, they're sapient too, but 
what we built them is that the same as uplifting them is that so you know i've tried to sort of put different layers of of things for people to explore in there around that um and you can play an, an android character as well there's a lot of depth to that that i think a lot of people appreciate on the same side though when you sent me the document you've also included what i i guess i'll call the grit scale that's really good for telling people that they don't need to lean into that so i think having that right in the material is great for the people who are listening to this or who find sapiens who are looking for the gorilla with a big sword in space motif yeah, and that and that's something that yeah, as you said, um, and there's more about that in the in the GM chapter as well that I haven't quite finished yet, so I, I didn't uh, send to you uh, most of the books currently with my editor. <laughs> um, but there's a there's there's a lot of um, information in there about how to have that discussion with your group because I, I don't I think these kinds of themes are things that may disturb some people. They may be triggers for some people. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not something that you would want to spring on players. Um, no, it's definitely right. not. A very famous podcast recently ended because of something that the GM threw on one of the players that was particularly ick. I, I, I imagine uh, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you have to have conversations between GMs and players. Your group have to enter into mm-hmm. a, not, not, not necessarily a physical contract that people sign or anything like that, but there has to be a social contract about what's acceptable and what's not. And I, yeah. and I have a lot of advice, I hope good advice in the book about how to introduce that, how to discuss that with your group. Uh, there's a bit of that in the bit, in the bit that you've read as well. Yeah. And ideas about, um, well, if you just want to touch on things, here's some ideas about the sorts of the sorts of themes that you can start to introduce. But if you want to get more serious, here's some some of these other ideas. Um, yeah, and and so I think different groups hopefully will be able to get different different things out of it. Yeah, uh, let's step back from the actual lore and setting of this game because even though that's super interesting, I'd like to talk a little bit about the mechanics of this. You have created a very cool dice system, or at least it's something that I haven't seen before, where you're basically drawing dice blindly. Could you kind of explain a little bit about the dice system, how it works? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I hope it's I hope it's engaging. I haven't seen anything like it before. The concept, as you said, the concept of the dice system is um, you have three attributes. Um, uh, they've they've got their own names, but we'll call them mind, body, and social if you like okay and your 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 levels of the attributes determine the dice that you will put into your die bag so you use uh, different colored d6s so um i'll have you know i might have three three red dice because my my vigor is three that's my that's my body stat if you like and i might have five blue dice because my presence stat is five and so forth so you'll have you'll have 10 or 11 dice in your die pool of among these three different characters um, okay sorry three different attributes all of your skills uh, are rated from novice to master but they it boils down to one to six okay so when you're going to make a skill check if i've got a skill with with four dice and something I'll, I'll reach into my bag but i won't look at the dice when i grab them and i'll take four dice so the idea is i'm going to and i'm going to roll them so i'm going to get a random result on the dice but i'm also going to have random colors that i've drawn out of the bag now the attributes that I have higher, I'm going to be more likely to get dice of that color out. So that's kind of how a, a strong character is going to tend to be better at physical skills because they're more likely to draw out those red dice that relate to to that attribute. Mm-hmm. And then you're getting two 
two completely different results from the one roll. So there's a there's a dipole success system, right? The D6 is every four, five, six is a success. That's that's pretty simple. You can glance at a yeah. bunch of dice you've just rolled and see that very quickly how many of them got a four or higher, and that that determines your what's called your effort. And your effort is used to determine whether you've succeeded in a roll, and that'll be compared against a, a static difficulty level or your opponent's effort if it's an opposed roll. You also determine your focus, which is the number of dice that you have in a pool that match the attribute that the skill is linked to. So if I'm doing a, a physical skill, it's going to be linked to, to my vigor attribute, which is the physical attribute, right? So the, the number of dice that I've drawn out for that will determine my focus. And focus can be used, there's a few different ways you can use focus, but the primary way you use it is to modify your usage of the skill. So every skill is a verb, right? You know, I'm running or I'm jumping or I'm shooting or I'm whatever. Yeah. And what focus lets you do is it lets you apply an adverb. So I might say uh, I'm going to use my focus to do my skill quickly. And the, and the amount of focus that you have will then speed up. So if I was, I don't know, picking a lock or running across the room, focus allows me to do that faster. Uh, or, or maybe I'll, I'll be doing something um, carefully, which will have some other, some other benefit, or I'll be doing it mm-hmm. um, in combat. I might be doing it violently, and it will add to my damage. There's, there's, there's a, a good section of advice in the book about, um, and we break down a lot of, a lot of the real common adverbs, mm-hmm. um, things like carefully, quietly, right? So, so rather than doing a, uh, if you're trying to sneak up behind someone, you'll do a movement roll or you might do an attack roll and you can assign your focus to doing it quietly so other people and the, and the target won't hear you doing it, that kind of thing. That's the primary use of focus and it really allows you, it really breaks out that skill system so that you can, uh, whatever you want to be doing in the moment, you can, you can modify what you're doing it using focus and there's advice in there for allowing players to come up with pretty much any adverb they can think of that they could assign to the situation and say, hey, this is the way I'm going to modify what I'm doing. And so it really, I hope, and, and, and in playtesting, it adds to the kind of narrative feel of the game of being able to modify what you're doing in the moment in a way that suits what you really want the character to be doing. That's super cool. So it, it to roughly sum it up, it's how you do something and how you make it better, really. Yeah, that's right. Or how you, yeah, how you modify it. That's right. And then, and then the actually, what I think's a cool thing in the system, and that I've had really excellent feedback. I don't use. Um, it's still a role-playing game. There's still combat, and you still you can still get hurt. Mm-hmm. I I don't have I don't have hit points. I don't I don't you don't keep track of. This is how many wounds I have. Instead, as you get injured, you add black dice into your die pool, and black dice represent wounds. So the next time I do a skill check, and I'm reaching into my bag, and I pull out my handful of dice that I'm that I'm rolling, well, any black dice that I happen to have pulled out, I'm, I don't get to roll those. So they don't generate effort, and they're not going to generate focus because they're not going to be the right color anyway. So the more injured you are, the more black dice you have in the pool, the less like the, the harder it starts to get to succeed in things. Um, and that's so that's a it's a really well I like to think it's a it's a pretty slick way of kind of handling that that mechanic of the more the more hurt you get the harder it is to succeed in things this would be a good time to go and get some healing or you know whatever so that you can um, so that you can get those black dice back out of your pool it's really one of the coolest dice systems that i've seen and you've explained it so Thanks, well man. even in yeah even in the the simple 
character setup and book that you sent me. It's only roughly 25 pages and a lot of it, it, it seems like it's, it's thoughts and it's was so simple for me to grasp how to do it. And I thought it was so interesting. And to me, it was kind of like a, how hasn't this been done before? Yeah. Well, I figured, I mean, I, you know, I had a few people say to me, oh, look, why aren't you just using, you know, mm-hmm. whatever XYZ system. And I, and there's, there's something to using an existing system when you're trying to tell a story. And, um, and I can't really claim that the system is heavily tied to the setting or the, or the theme. As, no. As some, very few games manage that. I mean, the original Deadlands, you know, you drew, it was, it was Wild West and you'd draw poker hands to cast spells and you'd use poker yeah. chips and things. And so it was very, the setting and the theme were, were very much tied in with the system. I can't claim that here. But what I can say is, I think it's an interesting system. I think it aids narrative play. It's not heavily crunchy, but it does have a little bit of crunch to supply to to, mm-hmm. to satisfy simulationist players. It's got it's got so you kind of sits in the middle between, you know, GNS theory. You've got your narrative games and your sort of simulationist games, and I think it sits in the middle there. Hopefully, at a level where it will engage people on both sides of that spectrum mm-hmm. um, to get some pleasure out of it. And I and I think it's a, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I, I think it's a pretty slick system, and I'm pretty proud of it. I think it's it's come out really well. I think you should be. This is something we talked about right before coming on was that you wanted to do something that kind of focused on creating a great story, kind of like some of these these other sci-fis that clearly you you grew up with and you you loved a lot and have inspired Sapiens. And I think this system, compared to others especially, really lends to that. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I'm pleased to hear that. So there is something in this that kind of helps guide that narrative play and you've dubbed it the four axes. Could you kind of tell us a little bit about the four axes and what exactly they are? Yeah. So sapience was, and this is, this is something I discuss in, in the introduction to the book, which I know a lot of people won't bother reading, but I, I, I hope they'll <laughs> go back and, you know, people want to get into the meat of meat of something when they grab it. That's, and that's, and that's absolutely fine. But I, I, I dedicate it a chunk of the introduction to um, why I made the game and and what how it came together and yes so the so the the four axis the the idea behind that is these are the these are the four elements that bring sapience together into its whole if you like uh, and and one of them is what we've we, what we've already sort of discussed is the the themes around discrimination and privilege and yeah uh, and so forth I won't I won't go back over those uh, mm-hmm. another one is um, so I, as you say, I grew up with science fiction. I've been a, a Star Trek fan and a Star Wars fan and uh, my whole life. And Star Trek, I mean, I'm not going to go into the whole, you know, Star Trek versus Star Wars no. um, argument, but Star Trek has um, an awesome feel, but it's, um, it's, a, it's a very safe, hopeful kind of a kind of a feel there's no i think as i said in the introduction there's there's no problem that can't be solved in the space of like an hour-long episode right mm-hmm. um it's a civilization that's eliminated poverty and and there's no want because everybody's got a replicator and, and so forth star wars has a much more frontier feel it's 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 old it's gritty it's um you've got the the technology nobody even thinks too much about the tech nobody knows how a 
how a lightsaber, well, I guess some Jedi know how a lightsaber works, but, uh, <laughs> you know, people use technology without necessarily understanding how they use the technology, which is not really sort of the case in Star Trek. Um, yeah. It's got that kind of more gritty feel. You've got this this weird place with all these different aliens and single biome worlds that really make absolutely no sense if you logically think about them, <laughs> but they're kind of cool. Right. You know, could you really have an entire planet that was one city? No, that wouldn't work at all. But that's but that's fine because it's a game and in that case, it's a movie. Uh, And that's okay, And and we can kind of ignore and hand wave those things away. So there's that kind of feel in there of um, that kind of old sci fi. And as I said before, it's the kind of sword and planet um, gritty feel to the setting. And that also kind of maps in with you know when you look at science fiction like um firefly and um the expanse and even even star wars when you're talking sort of han and chewy and so forth there's this real kind of concept of the ship is our home right and mm-hmm. and, and all of the crew of the ship are, are a family and this is where we live and the ship's probably falling apart because we could never afford to fully maintain it <laughs> And we, we, we're flying around, we're trading, we're exploring, we're maybe doing a bit of smuggling when times get tight, we're, we're doing whatever we have to do to stay alive, and, and, and this is our home and this is our place, and, and I'm trying to evoke yeah. that feeling in Sapience as well. Gene Roddenberry called it the wagon train to the stars, right? Oh, I love that. Obviously, talking about Star Trek in that case, but that, <laughs> that's, the, that's that kind of concept and, and feel um that i'm going for and the fourth one is apes in space right it's um i've i've been a fan of (laughs) i've been a fan of um planet of the apes since i was since you know the original you maniacs you blew it all to hell you know back in the original uh that's probably that might be a spoiler but um i think the statute of limitations might have expired i think it's old enough (laughs) yeah um planet of the apes was just this fundamental thing for me when i was a kid i loved those movies and the new, you know, the new most recent ones with, um, you know, Caesar as the as the chimpanzee who led all the other all the other apes through the Andy Andy Circus character, was very a, a different slant on the same story with obviously a lot better special <laughs> effects. But I just love that kind of I love that kind of subgenre um, where um, it's not just oh here's this alien race that we we gave it three noses. And here's this other one, and oh, it's got th- mm-hmm. this one's got three breasts, and here's another one, and it's got a tail, and it's green. Uh, you know, it, it we're taking the familiar, and we're kind of uplifting it. We're saying, okay, so let, let's explore, let's have apes, let's have android. You have to call them androids, by the way. You can't say droid because George Lucas copyrighted that word for some bizarre reason, so we have to say android. Yeah. Um, octop- octopuses. Uh, which uh, I found out after I'd already written the book and I had to go back and change the entire book because octopi is not correct, apparently. And you can't say octopi, it's not really? a Really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. And you can't say octopode either. <laughs> both both of those are incorrect. You have It's it's octopuses, which really annoyed me because I oh. threw out bits of the book that were size-based. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's, I, it's not something that's often done in science fiction. And I, and I like doing stuff that's mm-hmm. a little bit different I think you want to have a point of difference to appeal to people to say, "Hey, what about this?" Yeah. Right. And so they, I think did I did I cover all four? So it's an unequal world. It's a 
it's a small crew of misfits. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the, the the area which is called the Hope Cluster because um, they travelled there and sleeper ships from Earth, hoping to find a new place to live. Uh, so the Phenomenal area space is called name. the Hope Cluster, and then Apes in Space. So those are the four axes, and you you blend all those together, and you get Sapiens. Yeah, it's I I love it. I think it's such a fun setup. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the indie tabletop role playing game scene, but I feel like they're taking a lot more of these bigger, almost fun risks, but they also add to telling, uh, like you said, a reflection of society right now. Yeah. And obviously this is partially just due to the state of the world, but do you have any like reason why you think that tabletop role-playing games specifically have been doing this recently? I think that, See, one thing that anybody who gets into the, the role-playing scene, um, one thing that they'll find, and it's something that I'm reasonably familiar with, with role-playing and with role-playing people, I like to think, but something that really struck me, um, particularly when I, when I got into... So I, got into, I, I only got into Twitter a, a few months ago, and the thing that I, that I found was people in the, in the TTRPGs really are just an amazing inclusive group of people it's an incredible community of of very very supportive people and i think it's also a community of people who are quite aware and who are um intelligent enough or perhaps that's not quite the right word but maybe um socially aware enough to have made themselves understand what's going on they're aware of what's going on in the world we know that there are problems. These problems are becoming a lot more visible, um, mostly due mm-hmm. to social media. Um, we, yeah. we, there's, we've got protests in the streets. We've got, you know, the the, the Black Lives Matter movement has has sprung up in, in in the last, or become certainly a lot more visible in the last year or so. Yeah. After some horrible things that have been happening in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and people are aware of that, and certainly in the TTRPG space very aware and very um, concerned about it, I think. And it's it's something that we all need to be thinking about. It's not something that we can sweep under the rug as a society, and we've been doing no, that for a really long time. And I, and I see this as a group, of, amazing group of people collectively who really actually do care about that kind of, that kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, my, my game's not unique in that um, I think a, a lot of people are, starting to explore these things and starting to be concerned and interested in these things where, when they might not have been before. Um, and, and that, and that can only be a good thing because the more we can, the more we can make people aware of the problems that we're facing, the more conscious people are of them, then the more we will start to work through them. And you, and you've got to remember this is an industry that, or a, this is a collection of people who, you know, 30 years ago, were going through the satanic panic, right? And, having their D&D books burned by their parents because they were teaching them how to summon demons and stuff. And yeah. And 30 <laughs> years later, here's, here's this group of just amazing individuals who care about the world and care about others. It's, it's fantastic. It's a great community. I'm so happy to be part of it. Yeah, it's, it's a, a huge shift, and I think it's all the better for it. I know that I've gotten... I'm having this conversation because that shift happened. Yeah. And it's unfortunate about the world's world state and i'm i'm hopeful that we can really explore some of these these subjects through that especially for people who 
might be a little resistant to it, but are trying to learn. Yeah, and it's it's something. I mean, the the hints have been around for a long time. You know, um, yeah. When I was sort of doing my research before I started the book, um, you know, you look into Terminator, and you might think that Terminator and sort of Terminator Two was was you know a warning about about AI and yeah. and what and so forth. It, it really wasn't. James Cameron said the whole reason that the, the villain in Terminator Two was a cop was because there's a whole quote by him, and I I don't remember it verbatim, but he basically said. Cops treat all people who aren't them as as less than them, and something to be feared, and something to to be concerned about, and something to be put in its place, right? And this was this was 30 years ago. He was saying this. It was the, it was the same year that the Rodney King assault happened. You know, yeah. right back then, people were aware that there were endemic problems in the U.S. police force. And 30 30 hmm. years later, we get to you know George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and and all of the other just horrible shit, especially in the last year, seems seems that we're just hearing about this stuff more and more. People are becoming more aware of it now, and and it, it's something that we we need to be. It's endemic, and it's something that we need to be focusing on and trying to solve as a as a society. The problem isn't let's all hate police, right? That's that's not the problem. But the problem is that there are endemic issues that have become baked in. Yep to certain facets of society uh, and we need to pick them apart and, and say, well, actually we should be better than that now. Mm -hmm. So I want to go over something that been happening for the, the past year, only really year two now, I guess COVID yeah. how has, yeah, that fun subject, how has that affected the development of sapiens? I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like a positive thing. COVID is horrible. For sapiens itself, it actually, uh, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation without COVID, to, to be to be honest. Uh, it, it gave me a lot more time. So I, I'm, I'm, this is what I was talking about privilege before. I'm in the privileged position that to live in a country where we've had, I'm pretty sure the number is 24 deaths ever from COVID, right? Yeah. You know, in the States, I'm hearing, you know, 3,000 a day at one point. Yeah, they're, they're up there now. Yeah, our government uh, uh, a little over a year ago, we, we, we had our first few deaths and our government said, well, that's not happening, shut down. And we shut down the country for a month. Nobody left their houses. We had food delivered. We, you know, we just clo closed the country. And, um, and we pretty much killed COVID in its tracks. And we I don't think we've had another death since then. Mm -hmm. we, we occasionally have a case pop up because somebody's come in from overseas with it. But other than that, it, it hasn't been much of a factor in our lives here. But what it did do... And I don't say that to be boastful or, you know, anything. I no, just, no, of course know, not. Uh, I, I'm incredibly lucky that that our government took it so seriously, and I, I wish other countries, had, certain other countries, had done the yeah. same thing. But what we did do is we all we all said, okay, so how are we going to? This can be a thing. That this might be a thing for a long time. How are we going to fix this? And a lot of companies said, let's, let's all start working from home. And the, so I, I currently work from home. I manage a team. They all work from home as well. We meet up one day a week in an office uh, to have sort of, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations and team conversations. And other than that, we all, we all remotely. And that, from the point of view of having time to work on personal projects, which obviously Sapiens very much was a personal project, you know, I've, I, I save two hours a day of commuting. So that's two hours extra a day that I can be writing. If I'm going to take a lunch break or a, or a coffee break, I can just start writing. You know, I, I've got a lot more time that I would have had sitting in a car or sitting staring at a wall at work while I munch a sandwich or something like that. Uh, <laughs> so really, I mean, 
I've been sort of plinking away at Sapiens for years, but the bulk of the development really has happened in the last 12 months. Uh, and it's just because I've had that bit of extra time. You know, when, you, when you're not leaving your house for a month and, and yep. you know, there's only there's only so much you can do on each one thing. And so, hey, here's some time just to sit there and actually develop and get stuff done. And you can still collaborate with others. Um, I've got a group of really excellent uh, friends who are, who are gamers as well and um, collaborated with them a lot and play testing and so forth uh, on the game. Um, so COVID, from that point of view, benefited Sapiens. And I, again, I don't say that in any way to say that COVID was a good thing, but... You know what, Brian, I, I want you to just like right off the hop here. I don't want you to feel guilty about that. That has been the response I have more or less gotten from every single person on this show so far. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it gave us back time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It definitely gave people a lot of time to work on personal projects. And that's actually the root of how this podcast came to be was because I started seeing all these really cool projects and I wanted to make sure that people could also see them. Yeah. So we're almost at a time here, Brian, but I was wondering if we could ask one more question here. Yeah, sure. If you are talking with somebody who has never, never created a game on their own, they don't have a whole lot of experience there. They have an idea for something, but they don't exactly know where to begin making their own tabletop role-playing game or video game or something of that kind. What advice might you give a first-time designer looking to start? I think the um, you really want you really want to be passionate about your thing, whatever your thing might be. If you don't have if you don't have a deep set passion for it, why would you expect anybody else is going to? Um, so that so for me, that's the biggest thing. It's got to be something that you're really engaged and interested in. But at the same time, you've got to make sure that it's going to be something that other people are going to be interested in as well. Any 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 time a company's bringing any kind of product to market, they do their market research because there's no point making something that only the designer or developer is is going to be interested in, right? So mm-hmm. try and uh, so GNS theory that I touched on earlier, um, written by Ron Edwards, Ron Edwards back in the day, talks about um, fantasy heartbreakers and and how all people who when they first start thinking about making role playing games, they always first thing they always make is a fantasy heartbreaker, right? They, they've been playing D&D yeah. perhaps, and they say, oh, that's an excellent game and I love it. But here's this one thing that would make it better and I can, and I can do that. You have to think about the fact that that's cool and, and that might be great and that mm-hmm. might be something that you and your group will love. But if, if your goal is to make something that you're, that you're hoping to find a wider audience for, whatever your motivations for that might be, it certainly doesn't have to be financial. It might just be that you, that you want to talk to other people. Yeah, you've got to you've got to do something that other people are going to find interesting, and that may not be your Dungeons and Dragons with the with the serial numbers filed off, right? <laughs> so find something that you can be passionate about, but perhaps that has a point of difference or something that that you can see that other people might be interested in, and engage other people. Use use things like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook to to find other role players and talk to other role players and see where there might be a, a niche or an area that hasn't been explored or hasn't been heavily explored that people might say, oh yeah, that's interesting. Um, that's a cool concept. I'd like to know more about that. And if there's one thing that I've, that I've heard a lot when I've been talking to people about Sapiens, uh, which is just a fantastic thing to hear, is they say, oh, that's, that's, 
I haven't really heard that kind of thing before. That's interesting. I'm interested to know more about that, right? And that's that's the reaction that you want to get from people. Mm-hmm. So don't make a fantasy heartbreaker or, or do make a fantasy heartbreaker, but accept that that's what you're making and then you can move past it <laughs> and then actually think about, so what am I going to do that's going to be interesting that's that's not necessarily just treading all the same ground that that somebody's done before except that my elves are i don't know blue or whatever right so do do something (laughs) do something uh, a little bit different that people are going to find engaging that they're going to see that point of difference and say that's interesting i hadn't thought about that slant on something i'd like to know more i'm interested in playing that game right and be passionate about it yourself because if you're not 100% engaged and passionate about something, nobody else is going to... They might have a spark of interest, but what's going to blow on that spark is going to be your enthusiasm and your drive and your desire to see them enjoy it. And that's what's going to make a good game, I think. That's phenomenal advice. We're kind of at the end of our show here, Brian, but could you tell the audience where they can find more about you and Sapiens? Yeah, sure. So um, I think by the when this comes out, I think the Kickstarter will be running. Yes, um, it will be. Go go to, yep. So if you go to if you go to Kickstarter, I mean, I, I'm not going to read out the whole URL because it's really long. But if you go to Kickstarter and search for Sapiens, uh, it, it should come up as a as a currently running um, uh-huh. uh, thing. If you're listening to this through the month of June, because uh, June is the is the month that it's running. If it's after that, you'll find it on Drive Through RPG. Uh, I also have a web page, which is www.sapiensrpg.com. That web page has links to the Kickstarter campaign. It's got a lot of information about the game. It's got an online die roller, so the die system that we just talked about. If you want to actually see how it how it kind of works, if you go to that URL, there's a I, I built a online die roller. It's all graphical. Actually, you can see the dice all rolling and everything. It's pretty cool, I think. Uh, and that'll actually I'll be releasing that for iOS and Android and Windows after the Kickstarter, if it succeeds. Oh, perfect. Uh, and then there, there's a resources page on there, which at the moment's password protected, but once the campaign mm-hmm. happens, people will be able to get at that. And there's going to be a yeah. ton of stuff on there that people can download battle maps for all the different spaceships and all the other kind of stuff on there as well. So that's probably a good place to, uh, to go if you want to find information about the game. Um, and I'm quite happy for people to email me. Feel free to put my email address with this um, with this podcast. And if people want to email me and ask me any questions, it's just blabourne at gmail.com. Feel free to get in touch. Yeah. Perfect. Those will all be down in the description below, including the Kickstarter. And I'm going to go say back this game. I want to play this game so bad. And I just like, this is one of my major looking forward to hits from the tabletop role-playing game community oh thanks man i really appreciate that yeah i hope it i hope i hope people find something to like about my game whether it be you know the any of the any of the sort of aspects that we've that we've talked about hopefully there's something in there for everybody to go oh that's that's interesting mm-hmm. you know um, and um and i'd love to anyone if if anyone's listening and they get the game and they play it please get in touch and tell me what you think. I'd love to have feedback. I'd love to hear from people and discuss how they found the game and what they thought of it and yeah, and so on. Well, that's all the time we have for tonight. Brian, thank you so much for coming on to the show tonight. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. It was uh, was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been great. And thank you, audience, for listening. Brian and Sapiens are scheduled to launch very soon. Thank you so much to Brian for coming on to the show this week. It was a really good conversation, and he's incredibly knowledgeable about a lot of different topics, so go pick his brain while you have the chance. 
More importantly this week though, thank you to you. This is the 10th episode of Scheduled for Launch and without the kind words I've received in the support, I, I doubt it would have gone this far. If you like the show and you want to see more or hear more, please consider rating and reviewing us somewhere or letting me know what you think with one of the socials below. Truly, thank you so much for listening and I really hope I get to continue doing this for a really long time. Take care now. Have a good night. I'll see you next week.